are listening to WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with a global soul. Um, Our theme music is a clip of Summer Nights by the Eric Jones Trio. It's provided by our friend Mark Chesanow, who plays with the Eric Jones Trio every Thursday and Sunday at Good Times Jazz Bar downtown. Hey everyone, this is Tamara. Before the show starts, I just wanted to make a quick announcement. Um, Starting this month, we are going to be doing our show on the first and third Wednesdays of the month instead of every single Wednesday. Um, We just, we want to continue to be able to bring you as high quality show as possible. And this is just going to work out a lot better for our workloads and schedule. So we have our show today, Wednesday the 7th, and then the next show is going to be Wednesday the 21st. So every month it'll be the first and third Wednesdays. And on months that have more weeks, we will also be on the fifth Wednesday. So, And our artist this week, I kind of forgot during the interview to give a little uh, reading of his bio. So this is Paul Downs, and he's a self-taught artist who enjoys experimenting with multiple styles and mediums. He works with oil, acrylic, and watercolor, as well as graphite. Um, He lives in the Richmond Hill area and participates in multiple local art shows every year. He's on the board of Arts on the Coast, and he's also a member of the Savannah Art Association downtown. So without further ado, here is Paul Downs. Hey everyone, welcome to Arts on the Air. This is Tamara Garvey, and I have the pleasure of sitting with Paul Downs this week. Welcome, Paul. Thank you, thanks. So good to have you. Um, Well, let's just dive right in. You are from California, right? Uh, at one point, yes. Okay. It's <laughs> the earliest it's point. Earliest third point. Third point. That would have been high school and some college and in Southern California. My sister still lives out in LA. Okay. And you, I saw on your website, it says at college you studied illustration and graphic design. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. That was, that was the original plan. Um, however, coming out of school, there was a contraction in the economy in the area and I was putting myself through school and retail and sales and uh, merchandising and just kept doing that as and had art as a side thing yeah as a second life what about what year was that oh that's quite a bit ago okay um, that <laughs> is you late, the economy so I'm trying yeah to late 80s economics. early 90s okay and then yeah. how did you make your way from California to Savannah so I first made my way from California to the Seattle area because a friend of mine was in the Navy and he was like, hey, you should come up here and check it out. Oh. And was that in the 90s? Yeah, yeah about, so 90, like about 93 I moved up to The amazing time Seattle. to live in Seattle. To, to be in Seattle and someone go, so um, we're going to go see this little local band. And you go to see this little local band. And the local band happens to have an extra singer they invite on stage. And they're like going, well, we can, we're going to bring Chris Cornell up from the audience. Wow. He, he's going to sing for us. Or, you know, <laughs> suddenly Eddie Vedder shows up from Pearl Jam. Yeah, that's amazing. That's, yeah, there was a yeah. ton of great music during that time period. I guess it would just, as you were saying, that you were in college in the late 80s. And then someone invited you to Seattle. And I got very excited because I was in high school during the 90s. And just the music was... Just so iconic. So. Yeah, it was it was just stunning. And the local rock station there would do these what they call paint the grass shows, where they would introduce bands that were kind of up and coming. So sometimes you would get to sit. Um, and it was a free show, so basically it's just that open grass area, wow. and you could just sit out there for nothing, and you'd be introduced to like, oh, we're going to introduce this brand new band called Wolf Mother that no one's heard of wow. yet. Did people kind of know? Like, was there a feeling that all this? the whole grunge thing was going to become really big? I think there might have been some inkling of that because it was becoming a thing. 
And I mean, and, and goodness, when you start noticing that there's a lot of flannel and, and Doc Martens being worn in Wichita, you're thinking, <laughs> well, maybe this is stretching out yeah, and becoming yeah. a thing. I love, that's you know. amazing that you were there for this, like, entire just cultural movement like the and the movies coming out i remember singles was so huge and it was just that whole like seattle scene it's so oh, wild that yeah. you were there during the yeah and I, and I still every once in a while there's a pearl jam tune uh, state of love and trust that's off that album yeah that, that i was like going okay i'm gonna listen to this and embrace my inner grunge yeah, from years ago you. so yeah <laughs> so you were in your 20s then when you lived there yeah so i, I moved up there when i was about 25 yeah, that must have been really fun. Yeah, it was. Them. And then uh, I ended up meeting my wife, the retail store I ended up working at. Um, I ended up going to work for a different retail store, and they introduced me to Shelly, and because she was running her store, and I was like, going, well, how do you fast track through the whole management thing? Because I was just doing art really, really part-time on the side. Yeah. And they're like, oh, let's talk to Shelly. She did store openings and all that, and then I ended up working for her at one point okay. and then took over my own store and then we started spending time together and as soon as we had our first child then all her family's in the southeast so they were like oh you know it'd be great if we could host the grandchild oh, okay. and that, that precipitated me interviewing so i was interviewing between at about 20 years ago between atlanta and savannah okay okay yeah and that brought me here did you guys ever live in atlanta or you just came straight here no just visited um i was interviewing for two different jobs one in savannah one in atlanta okay the savannah job was one where i could use my previous retail experience working for a home office which meant i suddenly when you get when you move from retail into like an office job, you suddenly go, "Oh, this is why people get excited about Friday afternoons <laughs> and Saturdays and weekends." Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> there's an actual difference in the days. Of the yeah, week. there's. An, it's just yeah. another day when you're working retail stuff. Um. So, so what year was that that you arrived in Savannah? Oh, that would have been twenty years ago. So, okay. yeah. So, um, two thousand two. Okay. I think I'm hard here, yeah. artist here, so math. So you were, I always think it's so interesting to talk to when, like, when people who've lived in Savannah for many years because so you were here sort of like at the height of the midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil craze and like downtown was just really transitioning. Before yeah, that it had it been really very was. empty yeah. and desolate and then it became just, it was starting to get more touristy and SCAD was becoming more of a thing. Well, I think it was a culmination of like SCAD and you know, I think it's always cool to think, oh, I don't go, you wouldn't, if you're attending SCAD and you're going to college, you're not going to the campus. You're basically, your campus is downtown Yeah, it's Savannah, an urban, which is an urban very, campus. very, very cool. Um, but yeah, I saw a lot of the changes and shifts and yeah. um, it's been, it's been nice to see. And uh, yeah, no, I've really, I've, I've enjoyed it. And the art community really, yeah. is really super welcoming. I met, I mean, so many creators I got to know and be friends with when I moved here. So when you first moved here, I know you guys, you live in Richmond Hill now. Mm -hmm. Did you? That's where we started. Okay. We, we moved to we, Richmond Hill. You've been to Richmond Hill the whole time. You, I, we, we had a, at the time we moved, my oldest was two. Mm -hmm. So we went, okay, well, school's pace of life, and he's going to be in school in you know, yeah. two to three years. So that was kind of the intent. So what, would you guys ever, if, say you live in Richmond Hill at that era, do you come downtown to go to like a museum or a particular restaurant? Yeah. Or what oh, yeah. No, like? we would come down to museums like the Telfair. And, ha and Telfair and having a little... Both my, I have two boys, and there's just a little thing about boys and trains. So train oh. museum was oh, a, you went there a annual pass That's for the so train funny. museum. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so gotta take them, you know. Um, <laughs> 
just built an entertainment for the youngest boys. was hoping that one of the trains would be done up like Thomas the tank engine oh at some God. point that's you cute. know yeah. yeah were the horse drawn carriages around yeah they were there the horse drawn carriages were around <laughs> and when I at the home the uh, retail office I worked at was actually down downtown at the time and so I would wander around on my lunch breaks yeah. all around downtown go to city market and at the time I briefly was part of Savannah Art Association when they had their um, gallery space was uh, Belford's. Oh, I never knew that they yeah. were. Yeah. Okay, I, I was only familiar with their space on that square where Gallery Espresso is. Yeah. I didn't know that they hadn't always been there. Yeah, no, it's they were, Above they were okay. there and then work got to be too busy so I couldn't commit to sit in the gallery and doing stuff like that. Yeah. And then... Uh, then I got in with Arts on the Coast in Richmond Hill when they first started opening up. Okay. And I've been with them for, I mean, I serve, I serve on board with them out in Richmond Hill. Did you so. think with City Market then, was it just more bustling as far as art? Like, like now it seems a lot more pitched to bars and restaurants. It does seem, yeah, because there's a couple of places that were co-op galleries. I mean, there's still all the artist space that are there, but that yeah. shifted and changed. Yeah. But I mean, the staples are still there. Like, um, I can't think of a one... That's across there's the way, but there's a signature gallery was there at the time. At Hun has been kind of like a staple yeah, of that. And the and the gentleman that's downstairs and does these amazing acrylic paintings, he was there. Maybe or, Brian McGregor. Brian McGregor. I remember seeing his okay. stuff for the first time at At Hun. Oh, okay, cool. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting. I think if people don't go walk around City Market much, there are a few kind of flagship, like very big spaces that are yeah. full of different yeah. artists. Um, okay, so you said at the time you were doing kind of painting on the side, just yeah, for fun. Yeah, did some small commissions here and there. Were you? Yeah. How did you, uh, so uh, what year did you kind of transition into just doing it more and more and doing shows? Well, I, my commitment with Arts on the Coast got me to doing more shows with them. And when they would do theme shows, then of course that's an impetus to, well, got to get some work done. That begets a few more commissions. Yeah. And I think I started doing like the outdoor shows I do more now, that was pretty much post-COVID. Oh, it's been really recent. That's been really recent, yeah. Because okay. the job I'd had for like 10 years, like a lot of stuff, yeah. changed during COVID. You were, I was thanked for my service with the company, given a severance package, which was awesome. Wow. Uh, it was, but that allowed me a bit of time to kind of reassess things. Okay. But the day they told me... You had that me, real classic COVID experience of having a lot of time to... Yeah, well, and it was weird too, because I'd set up my Etsy shop in November the year before, um, in 2019, and the only thing I'd, I think I'd sold maybe a calendar to my sister, who she was my first customer, yeah. uh, and nothing had happened with it. And then it's the day they tell me, oh, Wednesday next week will be your last day, wow. then I get suddenly a couple of sales pop up in my Etsy shop. And then someone messaged me and said, oh, hey, you did the great watercolor dog portraits. Are you still doing those? I am. And I've, I've done probably. Fifty watercolor dog wow. portraits since like May of 2020. Wow, so that just like exploded for you. Yeah, and I just started doing more work, more commission stuff. I would, but I, I would meet you. I feel like we would see each other a bunch. It was before COVID. When I would go to openings at either mm-hmm. like Location Gallery or Self yeah. Studios. Yeah. Were you starting to have work in their group shows there? I did. I think I did one or two shows at Location Gallery. Yeah. 
Um, and I think I, I attended, I think maybe one, it's one or two at Sulphur. Okay. But until my, cause my youngest is 14, my oldest is now 21. So until the youngest got to be a little older, then that yeah. kind of inhibited how far we were going. You really couldn't we do that gonna, much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so for like a number of years, you were just kind of chipping away in your spare time doing some Yeah, just, and I think in, in hindsight, looking back at it, it was chipping away and making a body of work. Yeah. So when I finally did my Etsy shop and started adding pieces, I easily had a hundred plus images of different work to add. Okay. And, you know, because I'd had so much stuff. And I always keep uh, high resolution photos of all the commissions I've done yeah. and the other work I would sell. So you can sell them as originals and then as prints as well. Yeah. 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 How did you, um, when you started making prints, were you getting them printed somewhere or were you doing them yourself? Um, because I was going to do the Etsy shop, I wanted to not have to wait on a printer to ship me things. So I started looking at, I talked to uh, a couple of fellow artists and they made some suggestions on what to get for um, yeah. printers. Nice printer. And I kind of settled on like a, I think a, it's like a Canon Pro 10 I've got. So yeah. it's G clay quality, it's dye based inks. And it prints up to 13 by 19. Oh, that's good. That's and that, very big. So I, can, so I can do like little, so generally when I do shows, it's eight and a half by 11 size, 13 by 19 is my largest. Then I've got like an either 11 by 14 or 11 by 17, depending upon yeah. how long the actual original the, piece the image was. was yeah. 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 I did that too. When I very first started doing prints and I was selling on Etsy and I was going to like, it's so funny to think about where you started. I was going to the like either the Office Depot or the Staples here in town, you know, in Southside oh, yeah, and getting yeah, things printed yeah, where you'd like totally. email them files and they'd print it out on their cardstock and you, or I had like a little zip drive. <laughs> so you're so walking with like a little flash drive. Yeah, exactly. You'd have to like give it to them yeah. and they'd plug it in and make you a few prints. But yeah, like really quickly you get to learn, you don't have any control of the colors and you are at the mercy of how busy they are. And yeah, just buying a printer really opens it up where you can just be at home doing it anytime you need. And I, ha I mean, I had to gra like graphic design and computer stuff was, I was the guy that ended up being like tech person in the office I worked for. Oh yeah. You know, whether it's like going, oh, what's this new system they rolled out? Or, oh, hey, how do I, how do I make this formula right in this Excel? And oh. I was always the guy, I was that, that person yeah, yeah. in the office. So. I wanted to kind of control the means of production and have that. Yeah, so that I can, and you were able to tweak the colors and do that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So to, and just and I mean to the point that to this day I still have like three sticky notes that are taped to the top of my printer that are like going if I'm using this paper this is the setting oh. this is how I should have yeah, yeah. it so I don't have to remember have all of that. Yeah, I've got the profiles all set up for Did it. Did you yeah. so that that's interesting when you were in school and you said it's the late '80s to. Was there Photoshop? Was that a program or no, what? No, no. So when I was in, so I took graph design and that was pretty much all old fashioned kind of, you're doing vellum, you had like marker airbrushes for some fast comprehensives. They started the school that I was going to, they were starting a computer graphics class. Mm. And that was uh, one of the evenings and I had a guy that was taking graph design with me and he goes, yeah, someone in there was saying there's, there's some, there's some guy named Lassiter that thinks he's going to start a company named Pixar and he can make an animated film on a computer. I think the guy's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> that, that conversation happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and they're like going, yeah, okay, well, sure. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> that, that hindsight. But this is Southern California, so you yeah. know, there's a lot. The movie industry is so close to Who things. knows how many proto-famous people you happen to be near, I, I guess. Yeah. I, I don't know too many, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. I guess there's that and then you, that you were in a crowd with Chris Cornell once. 
That was very, very, yeah, <laughs> not like I was shaking hands with Chris or anything like no. that. I mean, I, I wasn't meeting these people. <laughs> Admiration from a distance in the audience. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Amazing. Um, okay, so let's see. You said that you've gotten a lot of uh, watercolor dog commissions. Yeah, yeah. Is that, yeah. how do you decide, like, what percentage of, um, your work right now is sort of just you deciding anything to do fine art versus a commission for someone else. Well, because the art, the art is the mainstay of, I have a couple of side things that I do also that I'm involved in, but the art is the main thing, so it's a lot of commission work, but I try to squeeze, I'm usually working on multiple pieces at the same time. Okay. So like right now I've got two canvases that are not dog related. Four dog commissions, a cat commission. Oh, that's a lot. And then, um, and then I've got some personal works that I'm working on and things like that. As, okay. as well as also, I had, I had to do take some time to do a demo before I had my watercolor class. Oh yeah, on we'll Wednesday. talk about the teaching. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a dedicated space in your house? Yeah, the um, the house I've got has um, it's got all the bedroom. The main bedrooms are all upstairs, and there was a office kind of sort of office uh, wood flooring that's downstairs with a little half bath right next to it off the kitchen. Yeah. So that became my studio space. It's got window that uh, I can pull up the blinds. I've got, yeah. I can look out on my, on my yard nice. and garden. And, yeah. and you have the bathroom so you have a sink that you can get messy got with paint if you need to. Yeah, plus I mean the kitchen's like might be what? 15 feet away so it's distracting it's not like the it's kitchen that right too there. far <laughs> yeah but it's, it's I mean I've got a drawing table two easels uh, my printer's in there then I've got a large desk from Ikea that I've got my computer on cool. and I can do my watercolors on that or the drawing table and like floor to ceiling Ikea bookshelves for yeah. all my reference and, and geeky toys and stuff like that so you like juggling multiple things at the same you said you're working on some pet yeah. commissions and some personal projects yeah, yeah yeah I don't really get artists block too much and and I remember there was an interview with, with director Guillermo del Toro years ago and he was saying how you know he really doesn't feel like he gets stuck he just moves on to the next project because yeah. maybe that maybe this just needs time to process. Do you do you ever have? I feel like I have this happen every so often where a particular painting is like just not that enjoyable to work on. For some reason, it's kind of frustrating, and I know I'll finish it someday, but it feels like work doing it, and so I'll set it aside and do other things in the meantime, and yeah. like kind of keep chipping away at it that one, and then I'll finally finish it and feel just so relieved that it's done or whatever. Well, do you ever have the one? Because I'll sometimes have it where I get to. A piece I've set aside that I just feel like it's like a it's, it's like a nut you just can't crack yeah and then suddenly you come back to it fresh and it could be a day or it could be like a, a year and you suddenly look at it and go oh I know exactly yeah, what, know what I need to do, to do to with this yeah, thing yeah. now I know what's wrong yeah with this. then it's just a matter of physically being able to do it <laughs> yeah I, I think the big thing is carving out time I had someone talk to me at a show recently like Oh, so you know, you paint when inspiration. I'm like, no, this is a job. You need to kind of engage the machine and work. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I can be more in the mood to create certain things, but as far as making art, yeah, you know, you, you sit down and you just do it. Do you sit, is it every morning you sit down and you do it for a certain number of hours? Um, every morning I'm doing something. So, yeah. when I'm waking up and having, having the whatever morning beverage that's hot, it's, um, I'm usually either sketching or I'll do like watercolor bookmarks or I'll just chip it like watercolor, um, some of the dog portraits that I'm working on. Yeah. 
um, or touch the pain. So it, it varies a bit. Yeah, just um, something really. But something. To our I mean, business. I think there's every day though. I'm I'm touching something. Yeah. And I've always like my bag that's in my car. I've got my sketchbook in that, so I've always got something with me. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Are you a you're a sketchbook person? Do you? Oh, I'm a big rent? sketchbook okay. person. Yeah. And I, I just mean, like out sit, sitting. You're sitting. And I'll you sit out. I'll I'll sit there and doodle. It's where I work out ideas because I did this little. Um, we did holiday cards for the last class of my watercolor class and one of them I actually decided I want to make like a little yeti design where it's dragging a Christmas tree oh, so it's cute. kind of illustrative and cartoony yeah. but I went through like five or six different face sketches of like how close do I want to put the eyes how cute do I want to make it I don't want it to be threatening <laughs> uh, this, this one doesn't look quite look like a yeti it looks like an extra alien from Star Wars that's not okay. right <laughs> that's interesting what do you yeah what do you come up with eyes wise to make it look cuter and less it, threatening the, the eyes actually I pulled them the head I made more kind of oval, horizontal oval, okay. and I pulled the eyes further apart, okay. and then made the mouth closer to where the eyes are. So there's that like was almost cuter. no news. Yeah, so it's kind of a right. it's kind of a cute element to Keep it. An eye. It sounds like, so that'll be in your Etsy shop, right? Your holiday cards. The, uh, the probably my Etsy shop. Or at the moment, I just print the cards, and they'll be at my. Um, my next couple of shows that I do. Like, okay. I'm going to be at the Richmond Hill Farmers Market on Saturday. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, and that brings me, I did want to talk about just the content of your paintings. You kind of, I was looking through your site and you have a bunch of, you have like a lot of different content. You tend to do landscapes with maybe a figure in them. You do a lot of low country landscapes. You do a lot of animals and then the kind of background around it is really soft and abstract, which I like. Um, and then you have a whole series of sort of nude figure drawings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, those, are you going to like a, is there sort of a figure drawing class or session or something that you go to for those? No, actually, um, I just, I've always liked the human figure and there was uh, a few years back, um, I started bringing my bookmarks into Anderson Mercantile in Richmond Hill okay. and um, she had made the comment that she's like, oh, I really like your figurative work, and I really like, and her husband and her really like pinup work. Do you want to try and do like some little like tasteful nudes and bookmarks and we'll see oh, how okay. we do? And then from there I did those, then I started doing, well, let's do them a little bit larger than a, than a you know, a two inch by eight, nine inch watercolor yeah. strip. So I did these little five by seven, like postcard size. And that sort of became a series of different nude figures that I would sketch out. And, okay. And some of them go faster, some of them go, go don't take as much time. Yeah. That's interesting that initially it was for a commission for a shop. Yeah, but she was like, oh, bring this stuff in. We'll, <laughs> okay, so if anybody wants nude figure bookmarks, they should go to Anderson Mercantile. Is that what you said? <laughs> if, she, if she has any right now, okay. a lot of what she has popular, she goes, bring me the weird stuff. So I, oh. if I did a rendition of like... Wednesday at my version of Wednesday Adams where it says something like social distant on it or yeah. where I've done like some of my versions of like some studio Ghibli characters okay or just like like one of the ones I did for Halloween that became a regular staple of my bookmarks was this um little cartoonish voodoo doll with like one button eye and a little stitched on heart it's got pins in it uh. and on the bookmark it says thinking of you uh, yeah. <laughs> and I thought, oh, this would be fun it's for Halloween. Yeah, and then, in what way then, are we thinking? Then kept selling it and selling some more. And now, it's, now I regularly repaint this yeah. thing for... Thinking of you and stabbing my booty doll. I love it. Yeah, it feels like it should be <laughs> thinking of you. <laughs> um, do you find... So, when are the bookmarks, were they, like, are they original art or are they prints? They're original art, yeah. Okay. They're all, like, little two-inch by nine-inch strips of watercolor So, paper. is that hard, like, for pricing? Because depending on the product, it's, like... 
what people's perception of how much they should be paying for a certain thing. It's like you can only charge so much for a bookmark, even if it's an original painting. Yeah, so yeah, how does yeah. that work out for you as far as pricing? Um, I mean, I've been charging like $15 for, okay. for the bookmarks. And some of them, and I think it averages out, some of them take a little longer. Um, but others, I mean, if I'm doing like a little watercolor whale, that's done with like a 12-inch brush and two colors. I'm using indigo and white, and that's it. And it's kind yeah. of a sweeping gesture. Um, with the brush to kind of get the shape and then you add the details with a lot of water so I mean that could be done in like 10 minutes yeah so you've so, worked out you can kind of do a batch of them yeah so yes. I'll, I'll usually batch them out I'll usually have like yeah. you know, six or seven different ones it's almost like this weird this artistic version of free association where you're just like oh it's gonna be a seahorse uh, it's gonna be a whale it's yeah. going to be those little Kodama figures from like Princess Mononuke that are in the forest you know yeah. just random stuff that I'll do. Do you usually paint in water-based media so that it dries quicker you think? Um, I, I guess I do actually because I do the oil paints I use are water the water missable oil paints okay because when I first started doing oil painting I was in like a little one-bedroom apartment where my oldest was a baby and and my wife's really sensitive to smells, so yeah. so it's like, oh yeah, I don't really want to cook my wife or baby's brain with odorless thinner. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I found a lot of missable ones. And this I conversation like about those. oil paint has come up with a lot of different people. <laughs> yeah, and I, I and I like the effect. It has enough open time so I can get some good blending, but it dries within a few days. Okay. And, but then I also work in acrylic if I want to do heavy chunky layers of stuff, and I'll mix them up too. Yeah. How do you? So if you're doing kind of a larger canvas that's more of a completed painting, like either a figure or an animal with you know the landscape around yeah. it, are you kind of just balancing out both the oil paint and the um, acrylic? It, a lot, some of it depends on time, yeah. you know, so if I need, if I'm on a hard deadline and I want to get some nice gradations of color with the oil paint, I'll do most of it in acrylic as a, like a massive underpainting and then do the details in oil where I get the soft blending. Yeah. If I have more time, a lot of my larger landscapes, those are pretty much all done in oil. Okay. Yeah. I think the, the backgrounds of your pieces, like... They have this really wispy, soft feel that looks like chalk pastels almost. Uh, I, like, I like the soft blending yeah. of all of They're that. They're very kind soft. Of stuff. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing I noticed in your landscapes, they all are like the the sky. All of them seem to have this like very dramatic feel where it looks like you're capturing a moment of the sky really changing, like a big wind is coming and the yeah. clouds are moving. They just all have this feel to them. It's really interesting. I, I like. As one of my fellow artists pointed out, she's like, you really like the movement in your stuff. And it's a more static piece, you end up throwing something in. Because I have this more static painting that just went up at a, at a show that we have a wall for Arts on the Coast at Great Oaks Bank in Richmond Hill. And it's basically like a little marsh and a little oak tree with moss and yeah. water. And then and when I finished it, I went, I need to throw a little dragonfly sort of buzzing in the foreground uh, across because yeah, yeah. I need that, that Like it was movement. just making you crazy that everything in there it's, was static. It's a little too static, so yeah. I, need, I like movement and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so I wanted to talk about, you mentioned, so you live in Richmond Hill, mm -hmm. and yeah. the big sort of arts association out there is Arts on the Coast. Yeah. yeah. Were you, did that develop in the years since that you've been living there? How yeah, I mean, they first started out... Um, I first knew about them a few years after I'd moved there, and they were subletting a tiny little gallery space in a strip center okay. from another business that had just this sort of like a it was like a foyer section that they weren't using oh, that wow. that got used. Was it like a group of artists? That yeah, it was a group of yeah, club? it was a group of artists that started. And that that got started way before I was ever involved. I oh. was I wasn't 
that inception because Joy Dunnigan uh, was part of that, and artist Sarah Volker, and there was yeah. and um, uh, late Lily London. She was one of the earlier people, and there was a whole group. and And I'm leaving artists out, and my apologies ahead of time for who I'm not mentioning in this. But um, and then I kind of joined them later on, and then the last few years I'd actually joined the board and was more active. Okay. And we have um, there's an old. Henry Ford Arab Bakery that has become like the Welcome Center in Richmond Hill and that actually has Arts on the Coast Gallery inside there and oh. Studio Space and Studio Space is where I do classes. Oh, interesting. Okay, so it's it's like the Welcome Center for the town basically. Yeah, There's yeah. a bakery and then the gallery yeah. there. But that's nice. So I guess you do you get a lot of people coming through. Yeah, it was um, and they've still got because it's just the Welcome Center so it's rack cards and some Richmond Hill centric merchandise but yeah. they've got the old a, an old industrial size mixer that the baker had used in Henry Ford's nice. time is still there. It's got the original like reddish clay tile floors and all that, but it's been retrofitted and redone. So. I don't know, so I will admit, I don't know that much about Richmond Hill. I just sort of know it as a suburb of Savannah, which I'm sure is wrong, but there, um, it sounds like things to go there and do and see and a whole history of it. Yeah, there is. There's yeah. a whole history as I also, um, I also work with the Historical Society in Richmond Hill and yeah. work, at the, work with the museum that's in Richmond Hill and it's this whole, that would be a whole other conversation of, cool. of the length about, you know, the history of that. But yeah, it's, it's, there's a ton of artists in the area, but yeah. I mean, Savannah, this area is kind of full of them. And I always think um, there's, there's probably, there's usually more creatives then we realized there was a story from a guy years ago that I remember it was on NPR and he was a writer he'd sold his first novel and I'm paraphrasing the story horribly but and essentially I guess he got an advance for a second novel he was in the insurance business so he basically his work job was a Dilbert cartoon you know it's cubicle world yeah and so when he got the advance for the second novel he just he him he got with his spouse and was like well can I be a full-time writer now can you? like yeah we can make this work kind of my job in the advance and we can do this so he's going to leave the job. The day he's having his going away party, he realized that that entire time, he was sitting next to poets, graphic designers, painters, mus- uh, you know, musicians, actors, playwrights, yeah. that were all going, shaking his hand, going, you made it out, man. <laughs> You're doing the creative life. It's the dream, yeah. And he, didn't, and he had no clue they were, there was this many kind of oh. creators that were quietly doing their thing yeah, yeah. on the side. Oh, if only they talked about it around the water cooler. Yeah, ex- yeah <laughs> exactly. So, Interesting. Yeah. Well, thank you. So we are going to take a little break. Um, I'm here with Paul Downs, and we will be right back. You are listening to WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with a global soul. Trees are one of Chatham County's most treasured natural resources. Beyond their beauty and cultural significance, the impact of trees are far-reaching and compounding, spanning from economic benefits to health improvements to climate change resilience. Trees are woven into every aspect of our lives. Savannah Tree Foundation protects and grows Chatham County's urban forest through tree planting, community engagement, and advocacy. More information is available at savannatree.org. This portion of WRUU's programming is brought to you by listeners and by Brighter Day Natural Foods. Brighter Day Natural Foods has been serving Savannah's healthy food and supplement needs since 1978. It is located at the corner of Bull Street and Park Avenue. 
They have online ordering and curbside delivery available. And now a walk-up window for smoothies, juices, and sandwiches from the deli. They are open from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. Monday through Saturday and 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. on Sunday. More information can be found at brighterdayfoods.com. What does it mean when we say that WRUU is a community radio station? It doesn't just mean that we invite the community to create programming. And it doesn't just mean that we're a voice for the community. It also means that we're counting on the community to keep us going. And you are the community. Almost all of our modest budget comes from small annual or monthly donations from listeners like you. You get to enjoy our community-focused programming because many others have stepped forward to do their part. Now do your part by joining our community of listener donors. Go to WRUU.org right now and make a one-time or monthly donation. And thank you for supporting Savannah's community radio station, 107.5 FM. Hey, welcome back, everyone. This is Arts on the Air. I'm Tamara Garvey, and I'm sitting with artist Paul Downs. Welcome back. Thank you very much. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about, so you you transitioned, you said, during COVID to doing art as basically your main job, and that involves lots of different income streams, I think they call it. So I know you're doing a lot of in-person shows. You have work up at various shops and galleries. You do commission work as well. Um, can you... So you have a regular thing at the, the Richmond Hill Farmer's Market, right? An in-person show? Yeah, until, until the season's over with. Yeah, okay. I actually, I'm part of the committee that helped kind of start that up. Oh. Because we're like, oh, well, there used to be a farmer's market in town. It'd be great if this could, we could start this back up again. So there was like a, almost like an eight or nine months process before we had our very first farmer's market on the last Saturday in April this year. Okay. So we're really, really new to that. But yeah, so I do that regularly if I'm not doing other shows. So, so there's a bit, there are a few different artists who sell there or how, um, there's what a, is the there's balance a, of food versus It's, it's, goods? we're leaning more towards food items. There's a lot of baked goods. Um, there's, um, I'm not even going to try to name all the vendors because then I'm going to forget one of them, and I yeah, do yeah. not want to uh, forget one accidentally. <laughs> but yeah, you'll have you'll have some you'll have produce, you'll have baked goods, you'll have hot sauce, you'll have you'll also have people that are doing like ceramic work, okay. and you'll have people that are doing like handmade leather work, oh, and a few okay. other visual and a few visual artists there. Um, cool. So it's a balance of arts and crafts. Balance, and food. Of, yeah, kind of a balance of arts and crafts. Nice. I've done a couple of shows before, so some of the vendors I've met. At, at a previous show okay. before. And then I know you did the recent Slam show the other weekend. Yes, yeah. Was it, so how many in-person shows that involve having like a tent and everything? When did you, did you start doing that since COVID? Past, that yeah, recently? after COVID had happened. Okay. Um, my first one actually was um, one of my advertising clients was an agent, it was a one person agency and she messaged me and says, hey, would you be interested in doing my outdoor shows? I can connect you with a person and obviously it's up to them to approve you. But if you're interested, um, we do a show once a month in Hilton Head. Oh. And so she connected me with that. And that was my first one. So I bought my first tent for that one, figured out how to set it up. Yeah. Realized that I need, need weights if the wind starts to blow. Yeah, diving in. I mean, our outdoor shows is a whole extra, so much extra headache. Yeah. So that's amazing that you started out with that and not an yeah. indoor thing where you just have a table. Yeah. Um, okay, so Hilton Head, did you know much about the clientele at Hilton Head or whatever I, I like. had worked in, in my past life doing advertising work I had I had spent probably about a, a half to three quarters of my time was in the Bluffton Hilton Head Beaufort market okay. for that job okay. so I was out there regularly so I kind of got a sense of the clientele yeah but 
in an advertising capacity is different than a art capacity. Yeah. So there's always a tweaking, but in some cases, I never know what's going to sell. I've brought older pieces that I thought, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I want to fill space with this one because okay. I want to have my tent fill. And someone will walk up and it's like, oh, this is perfect. I have to have this. I'm thinking like, where were you like five years ago when I painted this thing for the first time? <laughs> yeah. Or other things I just painted that week and it sells. So you don't. Cool. You really can't tell on that. So stuff. you bring you bring originals to that? Yeah, I'll bring originals. I bring prints of my work. Okay. I bring my watercolor bookmarks. Some of my small five by sevens. What is the name of this of that art uh, fair? That is that's at the shops at Sea Pines, okay. and it's the first Thursday art market once a month. Okay. So yeah, first Thursdays of every. Month. What it, what was your set? So you had to buy a tent for that. Bought a and tent. How much uh, like pre? planning and researching did you do as far as how to set up your booth i had gone to a cup we my wife and I actually when we were invited to, when we got accepted to possibly do it i didn't start until i said well let me not start this next one but let me start the following month and we actually went there to walk around yeah, take a look at the setup smart. um in general i mean i think some of the best advice i've ever gotten is from other vendors at shows that are really generous in their in their kind of experience and kind of go, hey, you know what worked for me was this. Yeah. And it's like the tent that I now have is not the tent I started with, but that tent that I have was because there was a photographer that told me, oh, I went to this site and this is the tent I bought because it came with the walls, but here's what you want to do. Go to the refurbished section <laughs> because it's going to get dirty anyway and you get a tent for like half and that it's still covered by the warranties. Yeah. I'm like, oh, great, because... <laughs> I did like an over. I did a weekend show where I suddenly realized, oh crap! I need walls because we use zip this thing shut yeah, and you walk yeah. away because there's security at night and you it's come true. back the next day. Um, so a lot of it was sort of like trial and error process, and people were like, you know, being as I said, very generous with their yeah. experience and kind of going, oh, here's what worked for me. So consequently, if I know someone who's doing it for the first time, like vendors at our farmers market, I was like, oh, here's what worked for me. You might try this and that because yeah. to me, it's like. You gotta kind of pay it forward because someone took the time to walk me through that. In the same way, like someone sat down with me when I first set my Etsy shop, who she had an embroidery business with friends of my wife, and she goes, Here, let me sit you down and here's how I set up my Etsy. Here's how I do the hashtags. Here's how, here's birth to death of an order. Here's what I did to set it up. And so, yeah. And, you That's know, very cool. Yeah. Yeah, and the, the outdoor shows, like you said, there's uh, the whole element of weather is a whole thing. Waiting the tent down is a big thing. And yeah. I find it took. I did a lot of shows that were indoors where you just have a table. And so you just need to know as far as merchandising something on a six foot table. Yeah. But then if you're doing an outdoor show with a tent and you're hanging things from the tent, maybe it's just it, the amount that you have to plan and think about and the logistics of it is just far and away. Weights, zip ties, and yeah. bungee cords become very good friends of yours. And just what, what you're using to hang your things up like do you have grid walls or the walls of the tent like it becomes very expensive it's a whole if you're going to do yeah, it you have to like yeah. dive in and really buy a lot of equipment and like assume you're going to use it a lot there, thankfully the stuff thing. that I had was a combination between stuff that I got and stuff that uh, sometimes people were like going oh here you can borrow this when I was first starting that because yeah, I'm yeah. not using it that much or I'm not doing many shows or that is really another nice. vendor suggests something that worked really well for them and I'm like oh and then there's other stuff where you just walk around and look at other vendors and, and you'll go oh I never thought I could do that with that thing. That, yeah. That's a cool idea. I should do that instead. I, I came up with a... So I feel like the tip that took me years to come up with, but if you're in an outdoor show and there's wind coming through, I have this little like vertical, almost like this... Um, it's, it looks like stair steps where you have a bunch of greeting cards up. Yeah, you know, yeah. A little display yeah. for cards. 
and your greeting cards are light and depending on the angle of the wind coming through sometimes a gust comes through and just all your cards start blowing down yeah. the road and everybody goes oh and everybody's <laughs> bending and crouching and picking up your greeting cards running down the road and i finally realized if the card at the back of the stack i just tape that one down yeah. to the stand and then things don't, that one doesn't blow forward. It doesn't knock all the other ones off. It doesn't flip everyone thing yeah, out. Yeah, so they yeah. all stay up. That helps a lot. Just taping one card to the stand helps them not all oh, cacophony yeah. off. No, I, I ended up like my bookmarks. I used to set them, I had, used to have like a little pegboard that I would put on an easel, which is little hooks. And then the wind comes through, it blows all the bookmarks off. Yeah. So finally I got this like freestanding little grid wall with like little legs. And I bought these little toothed um, like clips from IKEA that have like a little loop on the backside. I know those and I clips. And I, yeah. So I, I crimped the top of those, so the clips are now kind of crimped onto the grid wall, so they are permanent. So they don't move. Yeah. So then I and then because I clip it to the top of the bookmarks, it can blow all day. And the yeah. bookmarks, I got to flip the bookmarks back into place, but they're never going to go flying. It's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy yeah. how much you have to. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> there's, there's all the logistics you have to consider. I did that, the so. Isle of Hope Fair a few weeks ago, which was amazing, and it was this great turnout. But it was much windier than I think any of us were anticipating. And I was on, there's different areas where you can be, and I was on Bluff Drive, which luckily there's this big, like, iron, you know, like, heavy-duty metal fence behind all the vendors. Right. And we all, one by one, we just used, we had ropes, and we were tying our tent to this fence to make sure that it wasn't blowing away. And that was amazing that that fence happened to be present because it was better than any weights everywhere yeah <laughs> we I, all were literally just tied to this fence oh, that that's that's good to have it was it. windy it was yeah, on the water that's, that's yeah i did one and say i would do saint simon's and regularly and they did we had one where it was a gale force wind advisory so oh you had gosh. like 30 40 mile an hour winds were coming up and almost all the vendors because they're all weighted they were holding they were like they had one arm up holding the yeah. middle section. We all look like standing subway riders holding on to that little, yeah, that little yes, like, exactly. handle. That is the, it's the worst feeling when you, like, people are trying to shop in your booth and a, you're just, like, so tense and, you know, a wind is coming through and you're holding on to your tent and you're, like, with your hand on some of your products and you're trying to smile and be nice and talk to people shopping, but inside you're like, oh, my God, my entire situation is blowing away. Yeah, and, and you've seen... And you've seen like a one or two vendor tents, you know, meet a horrible end just recently in the wind. And you're yeah. just like, oh my God, this could be, you know. Yeah, sometimes the entire tent can go. I've definitely, I've been in shows where like maybe a ceramicist or somebody who has plants, maybe a whole display of theirs blew over. And then like a bunch of their product crashes and it is awful. Yeah, I had a, I had a glass framed example of my dog portraits that died a horrible death and then my response to that after it didn't thankfully didn't mix fix they didn't hurt the piece i just cleaned the glass out yeah. and then i got a, i had an extra piece of plexi so that's now the cover to that thing yeah. so if it flips over i feel like okay the plexi well, i know i feel worse. like all these things that you learn is because something terrible happened and you had to come up with a fix i, I think in some ways that's almost the only way to learn because it is a trial and error process so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, let's see. So, uh, so the St. Simon show, that's interesting. That one is, it's a full weekend when you do that, right? Yeah. It's, it's usually one, depending upon the time of year, it's typically just uh, Saturday and Sunday okay. once a month. Um, that's like, that's uh, crafts in the village is okay. the event that they do. Is that mostly tourists who go there or people who live in that area? Uh, both actually. Yeah. So I've gotten a lot of tourist uh, people that have bought stuff. I even, one 
I actually sold two paintings to one lady that lived down the street, and she was a crime. She was a, um, a mystery crime novelist. Oh. So she she asked me. Do she we said, know well, her I, name? Can you uh, share? Her name? No, I, 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 off the top of my head, I don't okay. remember. So my, my apologies. <laughs> I cannot shout out. But when it was, she'd walk to the market. So she bought two paintings. She goes, "Can you wrap these up, and I'll come back, and I'll just bring my car back to grab them because it's kind of gray. It might rain. I don't want to get on the paintings." When she came back, she actually brought me one of her, uh, like the third novel in a series, oh. of, so which was amazing. Then I'm going, oh, this is old a pain that's to someone cool. that's going to hang in their writings in the in the office they use for their writing. And they brought me a, and they brought me a book and yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't know if the pieces would inspire for crime because they were fairly <laughs> sedate. You know, I guess it wasn't that one of the voodoo doll. No, it wasn't the voodoo doll. It wasn't the one that's like going. Oh, I'd like to take the one with lots of skulls on it, or you know, yeah. No. That's cool. You have to tell me it later. Look up who that mystery novelist and we'll stick it in the liner notes because that sounds interesting I yeah, love the I'll, I'll, also I love that there's a novelist kind of in the area yeah I'll, I'll have to pull out the uh, I'll pull out the book off my bookshelf cool. and message you <laughs> um, what is, is is there any like what's sort of the wildest or most surprising thing that a customer has said to you while you've been doing these in-person shows you also have people randomly kind of telling you hey here's what you you know what I'm just giving you advice here. Here's what you should paint. Yeah. I think every one of us as artists have gotten oh, yeah. that. Or they're looking at your body of work and they're like, have you ever considered doing XYZ? Yeah. yeah. Different? I had someone, uh, someone slam was like, you've got, do you, do you have trout? I really need, I want a trout painting. Yes, Can you get the people tr- who have a particular animal that they yeah. are on the I, I was for. like, I unfortunately yeah. don't do trout. You should do trouts. Yeah, I find I also the people who make suggestions like that of asking you to do a particular thing, if you do it and then you contact them, they always are like, looks great. And then that's it. They don't actually buy it. Well, it's like the people that walk past every artist's booth and it's like, oh, nice work. Keep it up. And you're like, the keep it up drives me crazy. <laughs> keep yeah, going. Just yeah, keep going. Yeah. I'm like, I, yeah, thank you. I am going to keep going. This is my entire job. I will yeah. definitely keep As, going. There was a quote I'd read. I can't remember who, I, who to attribute it to, but they had made the comments like that they feel that it's a human need to make something because yeah. if you look at our, you look at cave paintings where someone living a desperate life where lots of things much bigger than us are going to probably eat us, someone is still taking the time to make some form of paint out of plant pigments to put their mark on a wall yeah. to represent the world. There's got to be some just need as people for us to convey a version of our world that we right. interpret. Literally I, making your mark. Yeah, literally. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I so. guess that's how we have an idea of what the animals that were chasing and eating people back then looked like because yeah. they painted it yeah, on exactly. the cave walls, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah, interesting. Um, okay, so I, I, I'd love to talk a little bit about how you have come up with the way that you balance out your business of like, like just, I meant like time management sort of, of how you have these commissions coming in, you have work at various shops and galleries, you're doing these in-person shows. Do you, are you just sort of like... Working all the time. Well, are you very, (laughs) are you very like planned out and looking ahead and really mapping things out or is every day and every week just sort of like, okay, here's what I have to cover now. It's a mixed bag actually. So in some ways I'll, um, I've got my. I know what shows I'm going to be doing, so because that has to be planned on my calendar. So I know where I'm going to be and when I'm going to be. Yeah. Um, I try to plan out times that I can make it to galleries or shops to replenish my work, which also necessitates me planning out time ahead of time to print new stuff or make new stuff. Um, But then I've also, as a creative, I have to build in some like time where I just get to play. Because in, in as much as I'll have a lot of commission work, I've also sold a lot of original pieces that were simply me, for lack of, <laughs> not to 
not my work, but I'm, I'm screwing around with paint on a canvas. Yeah, yeah. And these would be like and, your skyscape, the landscape. Yeah, there's several things. I've done that are kind of they're just grand experiments of like, oh, let's try this. Or I saw another artist do something, or consumed a YouTube video that went, oh, that's neat. Let me let me try that because I'm very much a I'm I'm kind of a. A joke. There was an jo- inside joke with my sister and I. That that's why the name Art Monkey popped up. Because I'm just like I'm just a monkey screwing around with stuff. I'm just a, I'm just a, I'm just a monkey playing around with things. <laughs> and so Art Monkey 16 on my Instagram was simply because 16 was the year that I started on Instagram. And Art Monkey was just once again an inside joke with my okay. sister and I. Yeah, and then I, uh, just like you know. Um, so recently, you started teaching some adult watercolor classes, right? In the last yeah, few months. I did. Yeah, How I did. did that come about? Well, I'd I'd had a thought of teaching classes, and some of my fellow artists had been seeing my watercolor work and the bookmarks and other things I did, and I was like, oh, you should really like. I'd love to see your technique on that because they'd see me sometimes do time lapse on my Instagram or Facebook. Okay. And um, and it sounds like you were painting at your shows too, which not everybody. Yeah, does, I, like, yeah, I, I paint watercolors at my shows. Yeah, yeah that's so because cool. that, that's something I can start and stop. Um, and it doesn't matter if the paint dries, I can just reactivate it with a little water, yeah. so it's not a big deal. But um, so they wanted to do that, and actually, even Heather had mentioned that because I was I was showing her we were doing an inter- she was interviewing me for Reflections magazine. Okay. Heather Young. Yeah, Heather Young. Yeah, yeah. and um, and she had suggested she's like, oh, you really want to do the classes? So I was like, well, let's put together the class idea and do those, and did my first one probably about. I can't remember, I think it was like September, maybe, is when I started my okay. first one. And that was a four-week course, like one day a week um, for like how, two hours. How did you um, market that? Uh, mainly through Facebook. Put it out in the community, put it on the Arts and the Coast page. Okay. I put it out on the Richmond Hill community page. I put it out on my, because I've got a, there's a private page for the subdivision I live in. Yeah. So I put it out to those folks. And then um, fellow artists that I knew put the, it would share it and put the word out. So I ended up with I ended up with six students in my first class. Okay. And then um, when that first beginner class was done, the all of them wanted to continue on to some capacity. Two of them, their schedule it didn't work out, so they'll maybe join for some intermediate class when we get into the next first part of the next year. Yeah. But uh, four of the other students were like, "Well, let's continue on." So I then was like, "Well, instead of doing another the beginner class, class I'll yeah. roll into an intermediate class." How did you for both that one and then the one you're doing now? How did you come up with like your kind of curriculum, like how you were going to teach? Some of it was because I'll take because I there's an online thing called Domestica, and I tend to take classes from Domestica, and I've noticed that all their classes start with the same structure of here's an introduction of me as an artist. Here's my inspiration and things that um, got me going or inspired me. Here's all my tools and materials, and then let's start out with the basics of how I use these materials. And, I'm, and almost all the videos have some structure like that. And I was like, oh, well, I can just—that's a good basic curriculum structure. Yeah. So I'll crib some of that from there. And so I started with like I laid out all my tools and materials, but then when we got into the class itself, it's like, okay, here is a simple pan of eight colors of watercolor. Here's the basic range of five brushes. I'm using the exact same brushes for all the demos. I'm using the exact same paint, but I showed them additional stuff and additional paper and things like that yeah. for watercolors. Interesting. Um, and the class, you said they were taking place at the Arts and Coast Gallery. The Arts and Coast Gallery. Yeah, okay. and I actually, and I kicked back a, I kicked back a percentage of the class fee. Back to Arts on the Coast as, as a, hey, I'm, I'm using the space. Yeah. And it, 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 it's not, 
it's done in the auspices of the Arts on the Coast event. So, did you? So you mentioned before, and this is so interesting that like coming up with how to teach a class, it really makes you have to crystallize in your head, like to to oh, put your much. technique oh, into totally, words. Yeah. So, yeah. how did that process go for you? I, well, I've. I had taught once before. Um, someone came to my house probably once a week to learn oil painting, and that was just a single student who had reached out to me and wanted classes to learn how to oil paint. Um, so I had done a little bit of that, but that was like eight, nine years ago. Yeah. Um, but going through and actually, because there's stuff you do as an artist that you just don't think about. You just this is just what you do. Yeah. And then you had to verbalize. Well, why am I doing this? You know. And there's sort of a certain amount of self-analysis that's like, oh, well, I'm adding this splash of this color here because that I'm picking up a tone that I had in here to balance the painting yeah. out. Yeah. And it's mostly all like we were talking about earlier, just reactions to things you've done before that didn't work out well. Yeah, And yeah. now you just come up with a way to fix it, but you're not used to explaining all of that steps to people. You're just like, well, I do this. And then when they ask you, you have to explain like, well, I'm saving you some time or else you could yeah, make and, the same yeah, mistakes I did. Yeah, and, and, that, and also I think verbalizing that to the students of like, oh, I'm doing this because of this reason. Yeah. This is how I fix. And I also try to spend a lot of time on how to, fi how to fix if something goes sideways, yeah, which yeah, happens. Yeah, that's true. And also the other thing is I'm uh, from for that beginner class impression upon them, like I'm showing you what works for me, but this is broad range. These are techniques. You're going to find things that are going to work for you. You may handle the paint slightly differently. You're going to handle yeah. the brush. This is giving you the starting points to go from there to then decide, oh, well, this is going to work well for me. This is a technique I'm going to try. This is style I'm going to go with. These are colors I want to use. But to just give them a starting spot, because I think for a lot of beginners for art, it's the, well, how do I begin? Yeah. Because that can be the symptom of the daunting part of it. Yeah, and they're just scared to, like, they're scared to start and mess something up. And just to give them the freedom to be like, even if you're working on something you really like, if you do a little mistake, there are ways to fix it. Because even really seasoned artists are making mistakes all the time. Yeah, you just don't things. cover it, yeah. or it's simply the, well, of course I meant to do that. Do you, you know? I do a lot of... Um, I'll, I have an X-Acto knife, and if it's a small enough area that I'll just like scratch off the surface yeah. really lightly. Yeah, and yeah. I've, I done, I've, I've done that to do that, especially if it's ink work. Yeah. If, it's, if I've done ink work, a little X-Acto to get the ink off. Yeah. Um, apparently, what I've learned that just recently from like a YouTube video for techniques, you can actually pull up some watercolor with like a magic eraser. like. Oh. One of those, one of those like oh, ones like, used for cleaning, like a house, like a ha like a cleaning, yeah, the clean magic eraser, where it's like Mr. Clean. That's cool. And you, apparently, I, I tried that out and was like, oh, well, that that yeah. actually worked. So you can also, I guess, like if it's you know watercolor on either paper or panel, depending on you can maybe wet the brush a lot and rub the brush into it, and then you can kind of, like yeah. you said, reactivate the paint and then like dab it. Yeah, I've done that where where I've done like okay, Sometimes wet dab, wet dab, wet dab, and you pull up a good chunk of the color and then you can go yeah. on top of it with something <laughs> else yeah because I've done stuff where I've had I've gone back and fixed something that I just wasn't quite happy with yeah um, some things are not fixable and just kind of like going well this is what it is yeah I will say I used to just work in um, I would be working really small and it would be on either paper or small panels because I was just doing pen and ink yeah and I kind of during the pandemic just had all this time and space and transition into doing bigger on canvases and doing actual paint not just ink and then that opened up a lot because then if you make a mistake, you can just like put some really opaque white acrylic paint over the mistake and literally just paint over top of it. Oh, totally. Yeah. Like in pen and ink and watercolor, you kind of can't 
cover something with white paint because then trying to ink on top of that paint looks completely different. Yeah, because then it ends that like that kind of that it's chalky line texture. and the texture. Yeah, weird. so having yeah. transitioned to working with paint on canvas, it opens up a lot of extra mistake fix when opportunities. You do ink, do, when you do ink work with watercolor, do you start out with the ink or do you add the ink after you've done the watercolor? I think I would usually do the pencil sketch first and then the inking and then do the watercolor okay. in the end. All right. yeah. yeah. But yeah, for those, and I it used to just be working on paper and then kind of like at some point that ampersand company came out with this panel. Like it's like a new technology where the cer they have a certain panel where the surface of it mimics watercolor paper. Yeah. So it's good for ink and watercolor, yeah. but it's, you know, it's solid. So you actually can scratch things up with a pen a lot easier than on a piece of paper. If you're gonna use like an exacto knife and scratch things up, you have to be so delicate. This is why, if you think you're gonna do, if I think I'm gonna do a lot paper. of that, I'm going with 300 pound watercolor but, paper. Yeah, yeah. Because I can like beat that stuff up pretty well. But yeah, if you ever try, there's this ampersand panel where the surface of it is like watercolor, and then you, you know, you're not gonna scratch through a panel. It's amazing. Have you ever tried out the watercolor ground that Daniel Smith makes? You can put that on canvas like gesso. No. Yeah, they. I, I saw someone that tried that, and I was like, well, let's let's. Was it you paint it on and then it dries? Yeah, you to brush feel it on like, like you would gesso, and you do like. One like one to three layers, and it provides a little bit of a ground, so you can actually soak in wow. um, that. I've, I'll have uh, sometime later over the weekend. I'll message you one of the images that I did. That's on. Um, I've got two paintings of. They're on small canvases. They're watercolor. That's very cool. I'll send, I'll send the images to you. Thank you for the tip. Sure. I feel like I'm getting the benefit of your teaching right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> do you have any uh, kind of words of wisdom for anybody else who's looking to get into freelance art teaching? Oh, I really, you know, I think the big thing is it, you probably know more than you think you know. Yeah. And you, you, it, I, I encourage people to think, if they're thinking about teaching, just to try it. Um, because there's a lot of fear with like, oh, well, what if I doing it wrong? What am I telling them? And that's why it's like, I tell my students, I'm like, this is what works for me personally. Yeah. I'm more imparting tools and techniques and ideas. And then from there, I'm like, I'm constantly experimenting, trying new stuff. So at least I'm giving giving you an idea to try and try that. So I think I think getting out there and just doing it, and it, even if you do it once or twice, you you learn something about your own process, maybe. Yeah, I'm and sure. that, that might even if you don't teach anymore after that, you're going to learn something from it about yourself. Great. Well, thank you. I have a few questions at the end I like to ask that are inside the actor studio section. Very cool. Okay. Right. So, is there a particular book that speaks to you? Steal Like an Artist is a really good one to read for oh, anybody else. Steal Like an Artist that is, that is, that is a great one. Um, years ago, there was a guy I worked with that had recommended um, a book called The Alchemist by Paulo oh, yeah. Coelho. And I'm mis I think I'm mispronouncing my Spanish is bad on his name. But um, that very much dealt with kind of the finding your path and sometimes your path is right in front of you you don't realize it you know um so that's yeah i, I would point, point that yeah okay. very much so um well thank you everyone this has been paul downs local artist i will post links in our show notes and thank you so much for joining me today thank you so much for sitting down and talking this is awesome here are a couple of creative events coming up over the next week on thursday the 8th from 12 30 to 1 30 at the savannah culture art center they are doing a nonprofit panel 
Um, they're inviting new and emerging nonprofits and individuals thinking about starting a nonprofit, especially if you're focusing on arts and culture, invited to join them at an open panel discussion with local nonprofit leaders. And then Saturday, the December 10th from 6 to 9 p.m., Picker Joe is having their annual Christmas party and it benefits Coastal Pet Rescue. There's a $10 suggested donation. They're going to have an awesome local musician, Trey Gurley, and his band. Um, and just a reminder, starting now, we um, the show is moving to every other week. So we are today, the first Wednesday of the month, and then we're going to be again on the third Wednesday of the month. Up next on WRU, that old Savannah magic from 4 to 6 p.m., a variety show featuring Savannah history, radio theater, interviews, and music. You are listening to WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with a global soul.